Max Verstappen dominates in Imola, but Lewis Hamilton fights back from 9th to 2nd to keep himself at the top of the title table. Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for 2021. My name is Michael Laminato and this is Round 2, the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix for Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Lewis Hamilton's pole position wasn't enough to keep a determined Max Verstappen from muscling his way into the lead at Tamburello, the Dutchman setting himself up to avoid the chaos of the ensuing wet-dry race. And though Mercedes tried, the German team couldn't elicit an error from Red Bull Racing at the first pit stop window. In fact, it was a rare mistake from Hamilton that dropped him to ninth and set the scene for a hard-fought comeback drive to the podium. What made the difference between these two title-contending cars? Let's find out with this week's guest. From the race and host of the Race F1 podcast, it's Ed Straw. Ed, how are you doing? Yeah, great. I'm still uh, still on a high from an exciting race. The the kind of post-race fatigue hasn't quite set in yet. I'm sure <laughs> that will hit later. But yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? This is what we all want. Exciting races, championship battle. Bring it on. Yeah, absolutely. Got to keep this up. 20 more one, uh, 21 more rounds and uh, then we'll be absolutely smiling when we get to December. But it certainly seems like we're being set up for a close championship based on what we've seen for the first two rounds. Let's just start there because in Bahrain, despite Lewis Hamilton winning, it's winning it seemed like it was a little bit one-sided in pure performance terms didn't it? it seemed like Red Bull did have the car advantage and just were essentially tripped up in the race that didn't seem to be as much the case in Imola it seemed much more even despite then ironically of course Verstappen uh, beating pole sitter Lewis Hamilton is this a sign of progress over that unusually long break from Mercedes at more circuit and, and weather specific? Or is this just what we should be used to over the next season, a, a seesawing of advantages? Well, there'll certainly be a certain degree of, of yo-yoing as different track sensitivities, performance sensitivities come into play. But I do think Mercedes made a little bit of gain in terms of the, their understanding of the car and how they make it work. They said they've done a lot of work between races. But also, Imola was a better track for the car. I think it's, even though Hamilton said it's more on a knife edge than it has been in, in previous years, it seemed a little bit more balanced and settled, less prone to understeer. It still wasn't the quickest car. Max Verstappen should have been on pole position, but the, the Red Bull was was quicker by a slender margin, but a little bit harder to drive. I think with the with the higher rate, you get that more aggressive aero centre of pressure shift and weight transfer on, on turning so it makes the car nice and responsive and pointy but you can sometimes overdo it a little bit uh, so yeah it's just great I think we will we will see this continuing as the, the season progresses one weekend it'll be one one weekend the other but still you would say Red Bull on average has the, the stronger package such fine margins in qualifying and I want to actually take this a step back and consider Friday practice here which Mercedes more or less made maximum use of despite the disruptions at various points. But Red Bull Racing, well, it was cause of some of the disruptions, in fact. Sergio Perez lost half of FP1. Max Verstappen was essentially not even involved in FP2. The practice sessions have been shortened this year, only by a little bit. It's an hour lost cumulatively, but that's still, well, it's about a third of what we've got at the moment. How much of an effect, when we're talking about less than a tenth in qualifying, you said there was a little bit of a knife-edge element in the Red Bull car, are those kind of things going to be making now that we've got even less practice? Yeah, I think it can make a difference. Obviously, the the loss of practice time is offset a little bit by the fact that tyre restrictions remain. So it's not quite as straightforward as you lose 30 minutes in the, the two free practice sessions on Friday and therefore you're, you're getting a, a reduction proportional to that. But there is less time to do stuff. And when you do get disruptions, 
as you said, Red Bull had. And even if you're not the cause of those disruptions, if there's red flags, etc., and you you lose time, that does make a difference. And when you're talking about a qualifying situation, Max Verstappen was third, 87 thousandths off pole position. These things can all add up. So yeah, it, it does make a difference. And I think it just puts the pressure on teams to be well prepared and smooth in the data crunching and make sure that they've they've troubleshooted the car and, and got on top of it and yeah who knows maybe if Verstappen had had FP2 he might have just been that tiny little extra bit comfortable in the car and then he wouldn't have had the uh, the errors he said it was some odd mistakes on that uh, a scrappy lap he hasn't had one like that for a long time so it wasn't Verstappen at his best in qualifying and Hamilton was close to it although he said he split his perfection across the two Q3 <laughs> laps I think cumulatively he thought they'd have been They'd have been perfect, but yeah, just great to have such a tight battle. And of course, with Perez in there, sticking it on the on the uh, front row in second place with a sudden step in performance in Q three. Fortunate because Verstappen had his problems, but Perez in the mix was a positive. I have enjoyed how much humility has has broken out amongst the drivers. All of them admitting that they've made mistakes and they're not human in qualifying in the race. Even Lewis Hamilton was very happy to finish second, which is not always the case with Lewis. But we'll get to that in a second. You mentioned Sergio Perez. I do want to talk about him. Very strong qualifying from him. A good rebound after Bahrain. The disappointment of being knocked out in Q2. Unlike in Bahrain, where he was run on the medium ties in Q2, as was Verstappen and Hamilton uh, this weekend, he was run on the softs. Uh, and there's occasionally so much said about the idea that if you just run on softs throughout qualifying, you, you build up really nicely to your ultimate Q3 lap, whatever that ends up being, and you get that extra bit of preparation. And I also thought in that vein... There's a bit of a sense that Red Bull, and and I'd be interested in your take on this over the last three years, is developing a little bit more of a, for want of a better phrase, a more driver-centered approach to that second car in particular. You know, there were ideas when Pierre Gasly was in the car, it was really he had to kind of do it the way Max was doing it because Max was so quick. Are we getting a sense, you know, this is almost a little bit last, last chance saloon for that second driver is almost a concept at Red Bull Racing that... There's a bit more focus on approaching Perez's drive as it is with what Perez needs. Yeah, there is some of that. And I think obviously Red Bull are very keen to be able to have a two-car team because in a championship fight, not just for constructors' points, it's actually essential in the drivers' championship. You need a proper wingman, much as Valtteri Bottas doesn't like that uh, word being applied to him (laughs) in relation to, to Hamilton. But it's a bit of a mixed bag because one of the things Perez has stressed this weekend, and he said it on Thursday, was that he knows that because Verstappen's getting so much out of the car, he can't just completely wander off in a different direction and try and get a totally different car dynamic because he knows the car can do what it do, what it does in Verstappen's trim. So he doesn't need to deviate too much. And that's the thing that Gasly maybe did a little bit too much a couple of years ago. And then if you remember, towards the end of his, of his half-season stint, they sort of forced him to stick closer to Verstappen, but it was a little bit too late probably. So I think it's a mixed bag because Perez does have that experience as well. So he also is intelligent and sort of humble enough to say well if Max can do that with a the car there's no point in me trying to change the characteristics and make it half a second slower so I'm I'm happier so yeah mixed bag and Perez admits he's not on top of the car yet particularly not on single lap running and in the race in the wet that was all new to him as well so he said he was struggling there but I like his approach and that's probably the difference between a driver who's got a decade or Grand Prix experience who's proved himself who's confident who's got his big chance but he's not 
he's not kind of desperately grabbing at it, shall we say, in a way that maybe Albon and Gasly felt they had to perform. So several factors feed into it. And I think Perez can be fairly happy with the fact he did find some extra pace in that Q3 session. So every time he gets in the car, he's getting better. It is a good sign, uh, particularly those who are watchers of that second seat. The idea of the second drivers in this championship battle is going to play a key role, even if in the first two rounds it hasn't quite panned out that way. But weirdly this weekend, as we've said, it was sort of the opposite of what we're used to. It was two Red Bulls and only one Mercedes at the front. This ultimately didn't really play a role in the strategy outcome of this race, thanks in part to the rain. But let's talk about Valtteri Bottas for a second, qualified well down the order in eighth. Was I mean, not ultimately that far off the pace. It was about four-tenths of a second. You know, I guess that's relatively big when we're meant to be talking about the guys competing for victories, but that really speaks to how close things are at the front. But how was it that Bottas, despite looking quite competitive throughout practice, we know he's obviously quite quick over one lap as a driver generally, ended up so far off in Q3 and then even in the race, just never seemed to find that rhythm he seemed to have on Friday. Yeah, it's one of those weekends for him. The funny thing was, it was all looking quite good. His Q1 lap was actually the quickest he set in qualifying. That would have been good enough for fourth on the grid. I think it was about a quarter of a second off Hamilton. So you you take that pace and you add the track evolution and getting into the zone, and you would expect him to therefore be a contender for, for Poland. And Mercedes felt at times that weekend that Bottas was going to be in the hunt and, and bothering Hamilton. But... Ultimately, it ended up just being the tyre warm-up. He struggled to get the tyres in the in the right window for the qualifying laps and ended up with the rears not quite being there. So he, he lost confidence with a bit of oversteer, the, the car not quite being there on, on turning. And then because the field's condensed more this season, you lose that time. He was only 0.65 off in qualifying uh, in percentage terms, but that put him nowhere because he's falling behind McLarens and AlphaTauri's and and Ferraris and then once there in the race he was just there he he just ended up sitting basically in the queue and he was spending his time battling with the Lance Strolls and uh, as we may talk about later uh, the George Russells this world so just got bogged down ultimately yeah and that was his weekend did play a decisive role but certainly not the one he would have anticipated I think it is fair to say just briefly on the conditions as well I mean Formula 1 is a summer sport we do occasionally race in colder areas but there was a combination of factors here wasn't it wasn't simply that this track difficult as it is challenging it is with virtually none of that asphalt runoff we're used to seeing all gravel and walls and all that kind of thing that combined with the wet weather of course with the fact that it was really quite cold I think it was almost as cold as the Nürburgring was last year, which was pretty much a winter race, that that's not really a challenge that drivers and teams are super used to, to facing, are they? And that affected, as you said, I mean, for example, Valtteri Bottas's tyre warm-up. How big a role was that playing this weekend? Yeah, it was a factor, and the teams didn't really expect it because last time we came to Imola, towards the back end of last year, it was it was sort of autumn and fairly fairly cool, but it's warmer than it, than it was this weekend. So, yeah, I think that, that put them in a slightly trickier situation in terms of getting the tyres the in the window. And, of course, the weather can always throw a curveball, as it did with the, uh, with the wet conditions to make make it even more uh, even more tricky actually the the rain was extraordinary really because I'm sure everyone saw the the mm. deluge that was being shown from Tamburello before the race but I was completely baffled because I could see that on the screen but if I just sort of went out the door of the media <laughs> center we were above the garages overlooking it was drizzling but it wasn't it wasn't raining that much which is why that we ended up with those bizarre conditions so yeah whether it was wet or dry those those track conditions did make a difference and probably Bottas was the one who who suffered the most in terms of that tire warm-up problem because that ultimately made the difference between him being a potential hero and a, and a, and a zero buried in the midfield we'll get to that in a moment and also some of the decisions around the 
the weather conditions that presented to drivers and teams at the very beginning of the race. But let's talk specifically about Verstappen and Hamilton now. First lap, great start from Max Verstappen. And, I mean, he mentioned after the race that it was a weakness of his last year, something they've been working on. But how much of that was something they've been working on or just what ended up being... I mean, I guess you could describe a creative gear choice off the line. Choosing second rather than first gave him this great, I guess, no-slip drive and then was able to muscle Hamilton. I mean, that that's the, if we're talking about a fine differences in a championship, that seems like a real race-winning move. Yeah, he was surprised by how good the launch was. Yeah, he, as you say, he was in second gear. A number of drivers were. I haven't gone through and checked absolutely all of them, but uh, a reason about Lando Norris, for example, started in second, just happened to remember from watching the, mm-hmm. the onboards. But yeah, that put him in a great position. And and then it created this fantastic situation where you had them heading up towards the, the Tamburello chicane, not really knowing what the conditions were like. Verstappen was on the inside thinking, all right, where shall I guess my breaking point? Hamilton tried to hang on around the outside. And, and this, these are the moments you really want to see because it's the two championship contenders going wheel to wheel for the race lead. They don't really know how much grip they've got. And although it ended up with Hamilton rattling across the curb and getting a little bit of front wing uh, damage, which did cost him a few tenths of, of performance, it's, uh, it's just a, a great moment and a little victory for Verstappen as well because that completely changed the race for him and ultimately I think he led 61 of 63 laps or whatever it was so he was in control throughout start to finish in in real terms but yeah Verstappen will have been delighted with the way that all panned out because not only did it lay the foundations for a victory but it was also just after the moment in Bahrain with the track limits and Hamilton outfoxed him in that one this time it was Verstappen who outfoxed him because he encouraged Hamilton well, put Hamilton in a situation where he had to hang on around the outside and then almost inevitably ended up rattling across the, the sausage curves with a little bit of contact as well. That's going to be a really interesting battle to see how it pans out this year because especially with the cars so close, it, it, we don't necessarily have the dynamic of challenger and defender. Of course, Hamilton is the defending world title holder. That, that much is obvious and he's the guy that everyone's trying to chase. But... We know Verstappen's extremely quick. We know he has a great deal of self-belief and he's not afraid to stamp his authority on a racetrack at any given corner. I mean, you hope, I mean, and it'd be really interesting to see, and I wonder what you think, how that will play out on track because it's surely not going to be the first time we see them side by side into a first braking zone. And I wonder if that's going to be something that really builds up over 20 races. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? These things tend to build up to a critical mass, don't mm. they? And then there's a moment where the irresistible force meets the immovable object and you have two cars off in the gravel or both with broken suspension and bits and pieces so you do wonder if they're heading for that and if we have another 21 races with them being pretty close together it's not completely inevitable because neither of them are going to be massively reckless but sometimes there just are those Mm -hmm. moments and the longer it goes on the more significance every single moment takes especially if we're going to see these sort of taking a few points off each other race weekend after race weekend and it's particularly interesting because it's a generational battle isn't it it's Hamilton the secure all-time great the seven times champion against the the guy who everybody justifiably recognizes as the as the great in the making Verstappen's an outstanding driver so it's got that extra free song because he wants to depose the king Hamilton wants to enjoy the battle and assert himself and say well yeah actually I can do this so it's gonna every one of these is going to be a flashpoint when they're close to each other and we've had we've had it now in both races so far it'd be probably too much to expect there always to be one in all 21 but (laughs) How many times before there's a situation where it does go a little bit wrong, whether it's the sixth, seventh, eighth time they're they're together. And as you get towards the end of the championship and things get closer, that's when it can really, uh, really kick off. And 
but that's just what Formula One fans should be absolutely relishing. It's one of those things of you don't really mind who wins unless you're obviously fans of either driver will be supporting it, but you just want to see this battle happening. It's going to be really interesting how this one unfolds. Let's talk about this opening stint of the race. Verstappen held five or six second lead as the the opening phase after the safety car, of course, after that first safety car panned out. But then we saw around about lap 20, Hamilton started to reel him in again. And at some points quite rapidly, in a way you wouldn't have expected towards the end of a stint with the tyres wearing down, the track drying out, moving away from those intermediate conditions. We kind of saw something similar in Turkey last year where those conditions somehow come towards Hamilton when the the tyres are uh, are wearing down and, and the Mercedes car seems to build that that overall temperature in the tyres. And I thought it was really interesting hearing Max Verstappen's team radio at this point before they made the decision to pit because I, f- I feel like almost for the first time in a really long time, you could hear, I don't panic is the wrong word, but you could hear this sort of tension in the radio because there had to be a decision made and it was not predictable how Mercedes was going to respond or what strengths they would have. What was your take on that, I suppose, almost sole strategic moment in this battle around that first pit stop window and and Red Bull's response? It was one of those tricky ones because quite often the timing of moving off the intermediates is just when you get to the lap time crossover, a little bit uneven in terms of the dampness of the track. So you had this problem of ideally they'd like to go maybe slightly further on the intermediates, but the intermediates were running out. And, And you're right, Hamilton was getting stronger proportionally. It was similar to Turkey in that the longer he ran on the tyres, the more temperature was built up properly in, in the carcass of the tyre. Really got it switched on. So, yeah, he was genuinely faster at that point. So you had Verstappen thinking, well, I don't... And Red Bull thinking, well, I don't really want to have to pit at this stage, but we probably are going to have to because the intermediate tyres are getting a little bit spent. Oh, and the other guy's chasing us down and he's quicker. And so you're, the, the real worry in this situation, which didn't really play out, is that if you get it wrong by a lap or two, you can end up costing yourself significant time. Because, of course, if you get onto slicks and it's and it's damp and you have an off or whatever, particularly when they're cold, then it's easy to lose a, a load of time. But the interesting thing was that it was possible for uh, potentially for for Hamilton to have gone that extra lap and, and come out ahead. But obviously he had the slightly slow pit stop. It's like four seconds parts or something. Not terribly slow, but you know, a good second and a half, if not a little bit more of what you'd like to be doing. So it did create an interesting moment in the race and again this dynamic this battle I imagine if Verstappen didn't have Hamilton behind him he wouldn't be so worried but he'll be thinking oh well we're getting to a little bit of a dicey moment and he's catching up so again these pressure points will continue to tell because there's so much at stake and that's what happens when things are so close because you know if you give away four or five seconds to a a bad decision if you're 25 seconds up the road doesn't matter but when it's that close it can make all the difference we know that Mercedes was struggling a little bit more with tyre warm-up that was kind of its quirk if you like in this race relative to Red Bull racing and so you can understand the logic of leaving Hamilton out a lap longer that's where his advantage was unfortunately if that was going to be the, the way it played out as you said a slightly slow pit stop took him out of the window of of maybe not necessarily undercutting but emerging very close to him on exit and then challenging him immediately but notwithstanding that would do you think there was any value in Mercedes as they did in Bahrain just throwing the super aggressive move and and stopping Hamilton earlier, taking the risk that Hamilton, we know he's very good in wet weather, would be able to manage slicks in conditions that were maybe just slightly too early for them. Was there a bit of a missed opportunity there, do you think? They were certainly thinking about it and could have asked the question, but obviously then it comes down to where the traffic was. Obviously, Leclerc was there and in the way 
potentially, which isn't an ideal situation. If you have clear track, it's a little bit easier. And there is always that risk of, because of the conditions, just pushing that little bit too hard. So I think on balance, they felt they were okay not forcing the issue at this stage, simply because they were so strong proportionally on the intermediate. So they probably thought, well, if we wait a little bit longer, perhaps they'll go a little bit longer and a little bit further than they should do. So yeah, it would have been an interesting thing to do, but it's not one of those ones I look at and think, yeah, if they'd done that, it would have made all, all the difference. I think it was a, a reasonable strategy to to do that. And you, you never know. It could be if, they, if they'd done it, it would have paid off, but it could also have been that it was a little bit too early and, and Hamilton might have had a moment on the outlap or, or whatever, and then suddenly your, your chance is gone. Well, traffic certainly played a point eventually anyway. If they were worried about it stopping early, even when they did stop, at the moment they did, traffic became part of that equation, Hamilton chasing down Verstappen. It didn't last very long. Hamilton made a pretty innocuous move, at least in the dry, uh, to get around George Russell, who did play a fair bit of a role in this race, as it turned out, all things considered. Uh, it was damp, slid off the track, lost a great deal of time in that chase, was a lap down by the time he eventually made it back to pit lane uh, to repair his front wing and so on. But he was, I mean, he started lap down. He was in ninth at that time. Obviously, we know he recovered a second. Sounds like a great save, but he was ironically saved by this crash, of course, I guess the centerpiece, if you like, of this Grand Prix between Bottas and George Russell. We've got to, of course, address this question. It's one of the contentious questions of the race. How did you see that that crash unfolding? They were battling for, I think it was actually ninth at the time, or thereabouts, the lower reaches of the points when they came together neither driver willing to accept that they were potentially the majority to blame yeah Russell had to make the move he had the DRS he had the run on him had a good speed advantage so yeah it was right to to do it obviously Russell's position is that Bottas jinked a little bit to the right and then he reacted took to the grass spun and ended up buried in the side pod and they were both out of the race Bottas's position was that there was plenty of space still for the Williams wasn't a problem so it was Russell's mistake and you can see there's validity in both arguments I must admit on first viewing live, I thought Russell was, was at fault. I thought, well, he's just ended up taking to the grass. But I think I do come down more on, on racing uh, racing incident. The, the really interesting thing is there was all this talk about uh, after the race. Obviously, Toto Wolff wasn't very happy with things. George Russell suggested that, oh, Bottas probably wouldn't have done mm-hmm. it if it was another driver, obviously referring to the dynamic with Russell chasing the drive. But I, I do wonder... And you can never know because you can't see inside people's minds. George Russell probably doesn't necessarily know this because this will all be subconscious processing, instinctive moves. It could actually be the complete opposite of being too reckless when battling with a Mercedes, given his connections. He was Perhaps he was almost too cautious because he saw Bottas move. Obviously, incredibly high speed there, so you don't want to be launched into a wheel-banging accident. So that's a natural reaction. But also... Maybe the fact it was a Mercedes was in his mind as well, and he thought, oh, that's the last thing we need to hit. And then it all went wrong. Exactly how it all happened in terms of the, the decision-making, I don't think anyone will ever know, even though even the drivers involved won't know the full full story. But yeah, it's just an unfortunate situation. In an ideal world, Bottas perhaps wouldn't have moved that that little bit, um, but Russell should have also been aware of the, the, the fact it was a little bit wet on the outside and the, the danger of that happening. I think it's there's a little bit of etiquette there from from Bottas. We didn't really see anyone else doing that, but at, at the same time... Uh, there was always that risk for for Russell. So an unfortunate situation. I thought he slightly overplayed his hand in condemning Bottas after. Um, there was a point where um, Bottas found the sort of conspiracy theory idea that it was uh, that it was more aggressive because it was uh, Russell, the guy who might take his drive. He found that quite amusing. But 
whatever happens, just a horrible outcome. Except, of course, for the other <laughs> Mercedes who really, really, really needed that to happen to get get the lap back. So there was an irony that those two uh, combined to, to assist his recovery to, to second. But whatever happens, not a good moment for the two of them. Uh, Russell, in particular, obviously, will be quite frustrated by it. Imola's been a bit of a disaster for him the last couple of years, even though he's been really quick and in points contention. It, it's gone wrong in spectacular fashion, obviously, the crash under the safety car last year. So... Yeah, I think probably on balance, in the cold light of day, when they've all calmed down, and obviously tempers run high because of how high speed it was and the consequences could have been enormous, they'll probably take a slightly more circumspect view on, on both sides of, of what happened. Sometimes it's just one of those things. Both drivers are you know, well-behaved reputationally. Certainly both of them, actually, probably among the two best behaved in on the grid, I would almost argue, but... The Mercedes internal dynamics of this are impossible to ignore, played a role, as you said, in their responses afterwards. Do you think there'll be any repercussions internally, whether or not it's literal repercussions in terms of punishment or just that long-term effect with regard to how that seat pans out? I doubt it'll make a huge difference in terms of the final outcome. I think the prevailing opinion, and I subscribe to this, is that Russell will be in a Mercedes next year, very, very likely. Obviously, Bottas is fighting to save his seat, whether that's as teammates of Russell, should Lewis Hamilton not sign a new contract, or whether it's keeping Russell out of the seat if Hamilton does stay on. But I would imagine probably Toto Wolff would see it as a bit of a learning experience for for George Russell, and particularly with the fact that Russell was so forthright, and I understand why he was in terms of blaming Bottas, not just immediately after, but when he'd had a little bit more time to think about it as, as well. So I think probably Wolf saw that as an opportunity to kind of slap it down a bit because if you look at what he said he made some comments on TV about well I keep joking with George that he'll either be in a Mercedes or in the Clio Cup in the future we'll have to decide see how he does and that was quite jovial but then as time went on he got a little bit more genuinely irritated about it so I think he has annoyed Wolf a little bit as much as anything with the with the reaction so perhaps yeah Russell did overplay his hand there I don't think it'll change the destiny of it but it's yeah a learning experience and probably a chance for Wolf to Mark Russell's card in terms of look if you are going to be in this team just bear in mind there's certain things that need to be avoided and that's absolutely one of them colliding with your stable mate as we should probably call Bottas at this stage rather than teammate is is, is not not on obviously they don't want uh, a return to the old Rosberg Hamilton days but it's probably one of those things I'll laugh about in the future but uh, yeah at the time on on the day got Got quite serious. Uh, PTSD flashbacks for Wolf, I'm sure, from all those comings together with Russell and Hamilton. Let's get back to the race. Resumed after the red flag suspension, as you said, that gave Lewis Hamilton an opportunity to unlap himself. I want to detour briefly from that battle, though, to talk about some of the weird rules uh, situations that cropped up in this race. We had a whole bunch of penalties and at least one almost penalty or opportunity for penalty with regard to positions gained and lost in safety car conditions. Uh, Sergio Perez was penalised for going off the, not for going off the track, but for retaking the positions he lost when he going off the track behind the safety car. Kimi Raikkonen was then penalised for not retaking positions he lost while behind the safety car before the rolling restart. So that was just after the red flag. And Charles Leclerc, just before the race restarted after the red flag, chose not to pass Verstappen, who had a bit of a half spin when he was controlling the pack just before that restart, as I said. I mean, the contexts are all kind of slightly different. But when you're looking at them on the surface, they all appear very similar, at least from the, I guess, prevailing safety point of view, the idea that there is a safety car on track or was on track. 
it seems like you can understand why the drivers might all have been confused about what they were meant to do in these various situations, right? Yeah, it, it can be a slightly confusing situation. I think if you watch the onboard of the Perez one, that one seemed the most clear cut mm-hmm. because he's off, he's ploughing through the gravel, Ricardo goes past. Maybe he could have made the argument because Gasly obviously sees it happening and thinks, oh, I'm going to crack on here because you see Gasly kind of going a lot quicker than Ricardo, <laughs> just so he can get that kind of overlap and, a, and ahead. And all credit to him, he saw the opportunity and, and went for it. So I think probably Red Bull should have been a little bit wiser to that one. Obviously, they got the penalty for, for that. It didn't cost them a huge amount in the end. Perez's problems came came later that cost him him points. Yeah, the the one with Verstappen and the spin, Lando Norris said he thought Leclerc could have gone <laughs> past. Leclerc's position was, well, I think he started a little bit there was never all of the car off the track at any one time. There's all there was. I think there was a point where first one axle was on the tr- on the track on one side, and then the other. So I think probably Leclerc was thinking, well, even if I do go ahead of him, what's it going to achieve? I risk a penalty, and he's just going to repass me. So he probably felt it wasn't worth doing anyway. Although it would have meant he wasn't vulnerable to Norris at, at the restart. So yeah. At, at, a tricky one, uh, that one. The Raikkonen one was probably the most partly unfortunate. It was started by the fact Raikkonen spun into the gravel after coming out of the pits to take the, the safety car restart. So that was his fault. Lost a couple of places. Initially, the team told him to retake the position. Then they said, oh, no, actually, no, we've got a whole position. They fell a little bit into the trap of once the safety car um, is preparing for the restart, you, there, there's a cutoff point where you can no longer make up positions. But having lost positions, you either have to take up your original position or start well start technically from the pits and come into the pit lane. So he fell in between those two, and it cost some points in the end because it dropped him down to, I think, 13th from 9th. So there's a little bit of procedural issues there, but I also look at that and think, well, if you don't get a little bit too aggressive on the throttle and loop it into the gravel, that, that situation wouldn't have uh, arisen. But... Equally, Alpha were a little bit between a rock and a hard place in that unusual situation. And that's why they spent a very long time in the stewards' room arguing the toss over it. And worth uh, mentioning here as well, if I've understood this correctly, that Charles Leclerc was suffering a radio problem uh, towards the end or in the second half of this race, perhaps the whole race, where it wasn't originally clear whether or not this was going to be a grid start, a standing start, that is, or a safety car restart. Safety car restart was chosen because part of the grid was wet. It would have been a little bit unfair, I imagine, had they had some drivers starting on a wet grid. But kind of explains why Verstappen had such a straightforward getaway despite the spin was that it seemed like there's a little bit of hesitation with Charles de Klerk about what was going on. I think that's right. Yeah, that did seem to be something going on on that. A lot of the teams were a little bit surprised about the the fact it wasn't going to be a standing restart. Many of them expected it to be, actually. And in fact, some of them who went for the softs, uh, Vettel, for example, did it on the basis they thought, well, we'll get some soft tyre bite off the line. And then it was a, a standing restart. And even some of the... <laughs> uh, 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 a rolling restart, rather. And even some of the teams sort of forgot between telling their driver on the way out of the pit lane and then, I forget who it was, one of, it may have been Alpha, actually, telling Raikkonen, oh, remember your grid slots on this <laughs> side of the grid. And then they said... Uh, oh no, it was a rolling restart. <laughs> so yeah, there was there was potential for confusion there. But yeah, certainly Leclerc that added up to him being slightly slow. The restart probably thrown off a little bit by the Verstappen thing as well. But that led to Norris getting ahead of him. So it just shows how these little areas of confusion and comms confusion can just sow that little seed of uncertainty. Couple more points to pick up on from this final part of the race. Verstappen got away. Essentially, had no challenges in his class for that restart. 
His teammate was down the order then, was spinning his way out of that second half of the race. Hamilton, we know, was further down and Bottas was out of the race completely, which meant he was able to sprint away to a a 22-second lead at the flag. Seemed very comfortable for him despite the stress of that first half of the race. Tyre choice under the red flag conditions when, of course, you can make those changes was really interesting and reminiscent in a way of what happened here last year, albeit under safety car conditions in terms of whether it was worth switching to the soft compound to try and gain an advantage then defend late or just stick with the more conventional medium compound and, and race as normal, if you like. Lando Norris was convinced by the team to say take the soft compound tyre. It was a long final stint, about 30 laps, uh, longer than that tyre was meant to last, but this track is difficult to overtake on, isn't it? Track position is king, and that proved to be the point with Norris. Yes, he was passed by Mercedes, but that car was simply faster than his, but was able to defend despite those worn tyres against Leclerc. You surprised more drivers didn't give that a go, considering that that burst of speed when tyre warm-up was so difficult, given the cold conditions, was potentially advantageous. Yeah, doubly so, given it's unusual to see when there's a free tyre change you can take. A number of drivers didn't change tyres mm. at all and just stuck with what they what they had. So, yeah, particularly those with something to gain, shall we say. But then again, some of them did, because we saw Perez on the, the softs, Sonoda as well. They both had... Uh, off uh, spins in that final part of the race so that that kind of undid the the good work but maybe yeah if you're a, a Lance Stroll type you'd think it would make sense to have a, have a little bit of a gamble but I imagine that they were overall thinking because there was such a long way to go and also the the fact that who knows what else was going to happen if you're reasonably well up the order you probably think well why take the why take the risk but McLaren uh, Andreas Seidel the team principal was was asked about it after the race they said did you think it was a good idea and he said well I actually didn't think it was a very good idea <laughs> but we we have very good strategists to know about this sort of thing so of course you defer to them and it, and it did prove to be a, a decent idea for for McLaren and Ricardo did it as well and he was very sixth all <laughs> all race and in qualifying and and they are not on Norris's level but it worked okay for Ricardo as well, although he obviously lost a lot more time and dropped well back from that battle for the, the podium. And worth saying that it was worth backing Norris in such great form this weekend. If you were going to choose a driver to try something a little bit different or a little bit more aggressive, he was one of the ones who was probably going to pull it off. And finally, I do want to mention, to take us back to the start of the race, but talking about ambitious tyre choices, Pierre Gasly started well up the grid in, in uh, I suppose, a representative position for Alpha Tauri, who we feel like is a very good car, but yet to fully express that after the first two rounds of this season. One of, the, one of only four drivers to start on full wet, he ran all the way till lap 14 till giving them up essentially realizing that it wasn't getting any wetter i understand we've seen this in the past of course the difference between the intermediate the full wet it's a bit of a gamble but if it pays off it usually pays off really big but considering that alpha tauri was already quite far up the grid really should have just been trying its own race i mean it was surprising wasn't it for them to try the full wet but then to try and persist with it for so long it didn't I mean, what was your take on that strategy position from the very beginning? Yeah, I think it was very, very odd to go that way, given how good they were. They didn't need to gamble. They did actually try and reverse it. They decided, all right, let's get on to intermediates. But while they hadn't quite passed the cutoff time, they didn't quite have enough time to do it and to switch back onto the intermediates. So I think they knew when the formation lap started that they were in a little bit of trouble with that decision. You can understand others. Ocon started on wets. The Alpine's not super fast. Probably thought, well, let's have a little bit of a roll of the dice because it could really pay off for us. And you can certainly understand why the Haas drivers mm-hmm. did it. Two rookie drivers play conservatively. But the fact only 
uh, Gasly was one of, one of four drivers, and two of them were the, were the Haas rookies. I think says a, a lot, and perhaps that's just whether it was maybe it's over caution because it was very wet in some parts of the track, so you can understand that. Perhaps, I imagine they were slightly surprised by how many others went for intermediates. <laughs> Probably the, the scale of their error dawned on them, and yeah, we saw Ocon took the pit stop under the safety car at the end of the first lap. They realised, yeah, this is not right. Let's get off the tyre. AlphaTauri clearly should have done that as well. But I think they just hoped that either it was going to rain again. Maybe they had some uh, thought their local knowledge because mm-hmm. the, uh, the the AlphaTauri base is just down the road in Faenza. Perhaps they, they thought <laughs> they had some inside, la- inside track on what the weather was going to do. Because then you just end up stuck in this situation of you're, you're losing time. You're kind of extending the stint because you you kind of hope I don't know you might make it to be able to go on to direct onto slicks, but that rarely actually works. So yeah, it absolutely ruined the first part of Gasly's race, and without that, he was going to be certainly in the neighbourhood of the podium battle towards the end of the race because he qualified very well. That car is very very good, so they'll be kicking themselves for that because we've got an AlphaTauri that is a very good car, great to drive, and they've come away from the first two races with hardly <laughs> hardly any points. It's Sonoda's from Bahrain and then the, the seventh place points for, for Gasly. That's well below what that car should be doing. And when you're in that tight battle and they've talked about the need to be consistent and not have these bad weekends and they've really had, proportional to what the car can do, two bad weekends result-wise. Yep, don't chase your losses. That's what all those gambling ads say. But uh, that was the way they went with those wet tyres. And at least he had points to show for it, but it does make you wonder what else could have been on offer for that team. There was a lot going on up and down the grid in Imola, another really interesting race for this very interesting season. Certainly, I hope that's the way it pans out. And Ed, a real pleasure to have you back on the program. Yeah, thanks very much. And I hope there's uh, lots of exciting strategy reports to come in the next 21 races this season. If it's anything like Imola and Bahrain, it's going to be a, an absolute classic season, an all-time great title battle I'm looking forward to. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting absolutely behind 2021 F1 season. It's going to be great. The Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix was a fascinating second chapter in the 2021 title fight. And what a location for it. The historic Imola circuit served up another entertaining race. Here's hoping it's not the last we'll see of it. Thanks to Ed Straw from The Race for joining me to wrap up the Grand Prix. And you can hear Ed on The Race F1 podcast. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. Make sure you never miss an episode of the F1 Strategy Report by subscribing with Google, Apple, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork, and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Amanato, and I'll catch you next week for a preview of the Portuguese Grand Prix.